Big Sis Pod. Big Sis Podcast. We love Big Sis. Welcome to the Big Sis Pod, a product of Big Sis Australia, with your host Karen Mason. Australian media personality Maz Compton has lived the high life. She's been a TV presenter on MTV, hanging out with all the rock stars on the red carpet. She's had her own national radio shows on many of the major radio networks across the country. She's constantly mingling with the celebrities at parties and VIP events. So why would she all of a sudden want to stop drinking alcohol? What? She's released a new book explaining all of this for so please welcome the gorgeous Maz Compton. How are ya? Oh, hi darling. I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. It's so great with the Big Sis Pod because I'm reconnecting with so many amazing women, including yourself. So for anyone that doesn't we know. We go way back. We work I mean, together. I know. In holy radio. moly. Yeah, we work together at like the very beginning of our careers. Oh, it's so old. Although you had already been an MTV presenter, so I think that you had already hit a pretty high mark of your oh, career. <laughs> but radio-wise, yeah, yes. Radio-wise. Oh, yeah, I forgot <laughs> I was an MTV presenter. That happened. Of course. That was a thing. <laughs> oh, it's so amazing. Let's start with um, we want to talk about the book, of course, but I really want to start with that party lifestyle and, and what you had become accustomed to because, you know, let's talk about some name-dropping. Who did you used to hang out with? <laughs> I wouldn't classify any celebrity that I've ever met to be a friend of mine. I and mean, that's just because you hang out for five minutes and then they get on a plane and they go to a different city True. and hang out with other people that interview them for the day. Like, it, you know, it's a very shallow level <laughs> yeah. of relationship that you get accustomed to. But definitely for the first few years of my media career, my predominant job was to host parties and to be at parties. And So you just go out and you take the free champagne on the way in and you do shots when your boss buys you rounds and you just, you know, I was in my early 20s and I was just living my dream life really and not thinking at all about alcohol and its effects because it it didn't affect me. I was like, well, this is just part of my job. I can handle everything that I'm doing. It is just the way it is. But then when you fast forward 10 years... (laughs) And Let's not do that. That's scary. But yes, I know what yeah, you're saying. But not even 10 years, like probably eight years, and you're doing the same behaviour but the environment has changed, mm. that's when you go, huh, okay. The common denominator here is me drinking all the time, even though I don't actually have to do it for my job so much anymore. Or I'm mature enough now to recognise that I don't need to do this for my job. I just thought I needed to and I don't know how to stop. That was kind of the predicament that I found myself in. So I'd done years upon years upon years of this, you know, seemingly harmless behavior. I was never out of control and nothing bad ever happened. Mm -hmm. You know, it was all, it was for the most part, a couple of twisted ankles and (laughs) maybe a couple of red wine stains. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't this classic, like falling down drunk, hot mess. You didn't get to Britney's status then? Not at all. And I very much feel like I kept myself in check, which was part of the problem because on paper and on the surface, my life was absolutely incredible and flawless. But behind the scenes, I really was starting to unravel 
in my late 20s and early 30s. Okay. And so obviously in Australia in particular, the culture, you know, always have a drink. Did you just feel almost at the stage where you were questioning it, that it was a bit of peer group pressure? I got to, so 2014 was a really kind of instrumental year for me because I was hosting the National Drive Show for the Osterio Network, Mm -hmm. Southern Cross Osterio. So that for me was definitely a dream job that I feel like I manifested and not many people get to do that job. Well, you worked very hard to get there as well, Maz. Thank you. I did and I know that. I I always say I worked 10% harder than everybody else and that's why I was 100% more successful. Oh, you were rocking it. So, you know, massive career high, huge pressure, too much money. And <laughs> too I much noticed money. What? too much. Who could say that? <laughs> but I know I don't like things. Like I'm not a materialistic things person. So earning lots of money to me was always like, I don't know, like it never really mattered. Well, especially when you start off in radio, you're on a very low salary. So for you oh. to work your way up the ranks to that Oh, status. I got paid well for two years of my 12-year career, let's mm-hmm. be honest. Mm. But it's funny though because when I got promoted, I get given more money and it, that was like a thing in my contract negotiations and I would be like, meh, whatever. I just love what I do. I probably do it for free because <laughs> I love it so much. Don't tell them but that. anyway, <laughs> I know. So 2014... I just started questioning things for the very, very first time in my life. And I I got to this point where I I would think to myself, I don't want to go to my friend's party and drink this weekend. Like I want to have a weekend off drinking. But I couldn't separate the two events. I couldn't separate friend's party and drinking. Like I didn't feel like I could go to my friend's party and not drink. And that was probably the first red flag I had in 2014 where I was like, oh, okay, so am I addicted to alcohol? Like I started asking myself this question. I'm like, do I have a drinking problem? Because I really don't want to go and drink this weekend, but I don't feel like I actually have a choice. I can't go to my friend's party and say I'm not drinking. Everyone would just give me so much crap. They do, don't they? They go, are you pregnant or something? It was like, I had no idea how to navigate that social scenario at all. But that was how I started questioning my relationship with alcohol was that very first moment quite early on in that year where I was like, I definitely am drinking a lot all the time. I'm fine. Like I'm good. I've got this epic job. I show up for my work. I stay out when I need to. I, you know, I'm doing all the things, but I don't want to do that thing anymore. And I'm not sure how to stop doing it. That was the, I guess, initial red flag for how I got to a point in my life where I have literally not had a drink now for over three and a half years. Oh, my goodness. And that would shock a lot of people. And including me, I feel like, oh, I wonder if I'd be okay giving that a crack. Are you suggesting that possibly that dry July option is the best way to give people a go at it because you are an advocate for them now? Yeah, I think so. I've been an ambassador for dry July, ironically, for 10 years. Oh, really? (laughs) Well, you only had to take the month off. Yeah, even at the height of my alcoholism, I would not drink during July and I would always, always do it and I'd look forward to it because it was a great excuse and I'd be able to say to everyone, hey, not drinking, sorry, I'm doing dry July and it would always coincide with the middle of the radio survey. So anybody who doesn't work in radio (laughs) has no idea what that means but it's basically school holidays for radio people. Yeah. And so we would have our survey break and so it would always be holiday time in July usually 
because I would have those couple of weeks off and mm. it would usually coincide with a celebration or commiseration, depending on how badly you did, <laughs> of our radio ratings. And ratings so are scary, That yes. month was always really tough because I always had to say to my program director who'd flown to wherever I was, like, hey, sorry, I'm not doing tequila shots at midday today. I'm doing Dry July. And, and I was always met with much resistance <laughs> I in, those, in those months. <laughs> so I had always managed to stop drinking when I had a reason bigger than myself or when I'd given myself, you know, the excuse not to. But I mean, a month is a really, really good start, definitely. And I think a month gives people just enough time to reassess where they're at, how comfortable they are with their relationship with alcohol. And then you can put some really strong and healthy boundaries down to change things if you need to, which is really what I did initially when I decided to stop drinking. Okay. So, of course, you've written your book. So, let's talk about what's in the book and maybe why you wanted to write it. Yeah. So, the book took me three years to write. So, let me backtrack. When I decided to stop drinking, I set a date at the 1st of January 2015. Mm-hmm. And initially, I was like, I'm going to do a month. I'm going to start the year off on a completely dry note. And I had just gotten the biggest promotion of my career. So I moved to Sydney. I was about to start the Sydney Breakfast Radio Show, which I thought I was going to be doing for the next decade. I was under the impression that that was going to be the case. <laughs> That's a different podcast altogether. Yes, that is. Yeah. Um, so I was about to start my biggest career year. And I thought I'm going to do this differently to how I've started every other year in my media career. So I thought I'm going to take a month off alcohol and see how I go. And sort of towards the end of January, I thought, hmm, I feel pretty good. Okay. I'm going to keep going. And so I decided to do three months and I thought, oh, January, February, March, that's nice. Like I'll do the first quarter Mm -hmm. of the year. And then towards the end of March, I was like, I think I'm going to do six. I think I'm actually going to not drink for six months of my life. That's awesome. And then at the six-month mark, I was done. I was like, I really don't think I'm going to ever drink again. But that first year that I didn't drink, so many incredible things happened. So the first year was really just my journey with how much self-empowerment I felt, how much I learned about myself, how much healing I went through how much emotional trauma I was able to process, how mature I became and how rebellious I was to just say no to alcohol at every single occasion for 12 whole months. Yeah, that takes guts for sure. It was hard. Like Mm. the hardest thing about not drinking was not not drinking. It was telling people I wasn't drinking. Mm, That was the toughest bit. Mm. So after that first year, I really um, wanted to share a bit of my journey, which I did. And then that because I'm Maz Compton, that ended up being... <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, some outlets misreported the intention of me sharing my story and labelled me with really humiliating labels, which I was not quite ready for or comfortable with. Do you mind sharing what that is? Yeah, so I shared a blog. And in hindsight, I definitely should have refined what I shared. Okay. So the purpose of my blog was to share how I felt after not having a single drink for 12 months. And it was a celebration of achievement because I felt awesome. And I don't know, or at the time, I didn't know very many people, certainly not anybody in my close 
media circles who had not had alcohol for a whole year. So my sharing of the story was about, hey, I did this really awesome thing and I'm really proud of this story and I think it might inspire some people. For sure. But unfortunately, you know, some of the details of what I shared of what my behaviour used to be like were just taken out of the context of what they were intended and just used (laughs) as fuel for some pretty harrowing headlines. Okay, so you're a loose cannon. Yeah, I got called some pretty rough stuff that I just, you know, I felt publicly humiliated. Oh, I'm sorry. But then the good thing, like everything for a reason, the great thing about that is I did get a chance to go on two national breakfast shows on television and set the record straight, which was pretty phenomenal. So so from those TV appearances and all of the news headlines, I had so many people reach out to me saying that they were inspired by my story, that they were really proud of me, that they had also just stopped drinking and did I have any advice to share with them on how to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I have had people contact me over the last couple of years, probably hundreds of people asking for advice or inspiration or telling me that I've inspired them to stop drinking. So from that initial kind of like overwhelming response from people, I was like, I need to write a book for people because if I had the book that I wrote when I stopped drinking, it would have made it easier. And it's not easy for everybody and it's not an easy decision, but I was like, if I can write a book that would have helped me, that's going to help someone else. That was the inspiration behind the book. So the second year that I stopped drinking, I decided to write a book and then I spent 12 months doubting myself and telling myself that was a terrible idea and it wouldn't help anybody and like why would anybody care about my story? And then I finally decided to write the book. Good girl. In the third year. Yeah. And now here we are. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you persisted because I know that you are helping so many people and that is why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Thanks. So what does the book have? So is it your story more so or you've got some handy hints in there as well? There's a lot of stuff in there. All the stories really are from my own personal experience. Yep. Um, which I get a lot of feedback of people just saying how they relate to my story so much. So even though I, I worked in media, I think the pressures from industry and corporate are quite similar. There's also stuff in there like red flags and just red flags that I'd identified over the years that I'd sort of ignored for people to really have a think about. And then there's all these myths that we tell ourselves about alcohol that I sort of bust (laughs) in the book because I've lived through it. So the big one for me, like when I first decided to stop drinking, one of my biggest fears was what the hell am I going to do if I'm not drinking? I'm going to be bored out of my mind. That was a genuine massive fear was what on earth would I do if I'm not at the pub with my friends drinking? And three and a half years later, I have no time to go to the pub. Mm. <laughs> because I'm so busy and so fulfilled doing incredible work that is actually my purpose in life and serving people and that I would have missed out on this whole entire life experience if I hadn't have changed my headspace and mm. my attitude towards what I was doing. Yeah, that's so, so true. It's, you know, my biggest fear, within a few months I was like, 
oh my gosh, are you kidding? I've got, I don't even have time to go to the pub. Like I'm doing stuff that's fulfilling and wholesome and good. And so I guess you have to walk through that in order to to find an appreciation for it. But at least I've been able to articulate it for people so that if that is a genuine fear of theirs, there's hope that, you know, on the other side of that, you can look back and go, oh, I can't even believe I was worried about that. Like, look at all of these benefits I've now gained in my life. All right. Well, let us actually now give out the title of the book. What is it called? It's called The Social Rebellion. Okay, perfect. And now where can we purchase it from? I'm pretty sure it's going to be in bookstores at some point. (laughs) (laughs) It will. Um, It will. It's going nuts. It will eventually. But right now, the best place to get it is just from my website, which is thesocialrebellion.com. And you can get a digital ebook download or you can buy the print copy, which is literally in my spare room right now. And when I get an order, I go down to the post office I and, love post, it. and hand post it myself. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe you yeah. can um, do some signed, you know, copies for us all. I'd love to. The yeah. life of a self-published author is as glamorous as the life of a radio presenter, I think. <laughs> exactly right. Everyone thinks it's glamorous, but not so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maz. Keep up the great work and thank you for your time. Thanks so much. It was lovely chatting with you again. Well, that's a wrap for Series 2 of the Big Sis Pod. But don't worry, we're going to be back again before you know it. In the meantime, spread the love by sharing any of the episodes that you enjoyed with family and friends. Hop onto our website, bigsisaustralia.com, to find out when Series 3 kicks back off again. Thanks again for listening in and I can't wait to chat with you soon. We love Big Sis!